Welcome to the very first episode of Illuminating Life. I'm Tucker Walsh, your host, and excited to just start this series of conversations with people that I love, that I'm inspired by, and to help illuminate their passions and gifts and unique essences, that which makes them so specifically them and someone who can only be who they are. Um, and also to be in the shared space of a universal experiential felt sense of love and appreciation and goodness and reciprocity and joy and creative eros. Um, and to potentially be at our own evolutionary growth edges as we share in this space together, helping to reveal more of what's possible, more of what's already here and more of what wants to become. These will be very emergent conversations. Um, I'm, I don't have pre-scripted questions or anything like that. It's just sinking into the field together and um, trusting the flow of what comes. <laughs> totally open and uh, grateful for any feedback or uh, invitations or suggestions or recommendations. So feel free to reach out and yeah, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, welcome everybody to this spontaneous recording where I am going to be talking to a dear friend and a beautiful soul, Jen Riley, who has her own podcast called Mystics Rising in which this recording will likely appear. And it may also appear on one of my various podcasts uh, to be determined. It's uh, we're entering into an emergent process and trusting the yeah mystery will guide it as it always does. Um, Jen, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself in a more thorough way, but just the way I experience you as a really cool mom. <laughs> I've gotten to see you with Haley <laughs> and I just feel like you're, um, yeah, just like a really good, solid human that is just pouring so much love into your daughter and doing so with like this kind of millennial youthful freshness that I find deeply inspiring and, um, inspiring just in general, but also inspiring of like, oh, this is the type of kind of relational context in which I hope my children can grow up in is with, mm. um, yeah, just like this playful purity are the words that are coming up. So that's my experience of you <laughs> and of um, who I have gotten the pleasure to know you as, um, but I would love for you to introduce your work in the world and maybe the topic that you feel called to explore in this conversation together. Yeah. Thanks, Tucker. I'm like, almost, I'm almost curious before I jump in, there's this term you use that like freshness in motherhood. And I'm just curious, like what feels fresh versus stale or old? Mm. It's like, oh, and then I like loved receiving that. Mm. There's something around the what I experienced as a quality of friendship that you have with Haley 
your daughter, who is what? How old is, is Haley now? Um, when we're recording, it's, she's eight and a half. Eight and a half. So the half's important. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, when I was with you both, it was probably more like eight, <laughs> just eight. <laughs> maybe even seven. I think it was a maybe. while ago. Yeah, maybe even. And so there's a quality of friendship, but not a friendship that, you know, I think sometimes parents can want to become friends with their children in a way that can be unhealthy, perhaps, or a way of um, wanting like that reciprocity without creating the hierarchy of also holding boundaries and containment and um, and the adult-child relationship in addition to the like experiential felt sense of there being a friendship or a deep bond and I experienced you as holding both um, and it didn't feel like you were consciously trying to, although I'm sure that's part of your process. It just kind of felt like an, a natural organic sort of easeful way in which you were being with her and being with me. And then the three of us were being together and it just felt like um, really easy. Just like it, there's just so much ease and flow. Oh, thank you for explaining that. I feel like, um, hmm. well, it really touches, like, I, I feel very, I feel, hello, well, I feel inspired by myself hearing that. <laughs> yes, you should be. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, well, I'm Jen Riley, and I work with parents, leaders, women, and obviously there's like a massive oversect, you know, overlap of moms that are, you know, entrepreneurs or leaders, um, and I just feel like the path of motherhood has just been, I mean, I definitely wish I had dove a little deeper into self-development before I had my daughter. And I was like, I kind of like, I was like a dabbler. I was like, oh, I'm doing some stuff. Oh, this is interesting. But when I had Haley, it was just like, oh, oh, there's like so much awareness that I don't quite have. And there's so many like cycles I didn't quite break and so many things that I I just like, I want, I want to do, like, I really want, I think a lot of moms, I think parents in general share this, like, I want to do a really good job. And I, re I realized that like doing a really good job meant being an even better human being than I, well, or just maybe even just not better, but maybe just like more aware human being. So like, what are some ways that maybe I wasn't guided in that I could, that would maybe give me more footing in my awareness and help me kind of have some more foundation in my parenting. And, um, and then that just kind of became like a pathway of like the work that I do now, which is helping, you know, particularly mothers and parents unpacking their childhood stuff. Right. Cause like all this stuff, I re then I like through that process, I realized that, that wow, all these childhood experiences really have impact on us as adults whether we like are conscious of it or not and so and I, I do some leadership development work and it's I think it's just like amazing because it's like we're working with leaders today on these communication skills on relational skills on you know on listening skills and it's just like these are all things that we're working on as adults, which is like, yay, celebrating everyone doing that work. And, um, 
a, I always practice everything with my daughter and she's like, and she like, it lands and she's like, wow, yeah, I can, yeah, we listen. So other people feel heard and understood. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but, <laughs> but it's like, what if we raise kids like that? Well, what does it take to raise a child in wholeness? And that's kind of the premise of the work that I do, you know, raising wholeness and raising wholeness starts in ourselves. So it starts with like reparenting all the little parts in ourselves that really didn't get maybe that full love, which I want to normalize. I feel like sometimes that comes up and it's like, oh, like I have to reparent all these parts because I wasn't loved properly. But it's like not about that, right? We're all human. Our parents are human. Like we're all perfectly imperfect. That's why we're, that's like, that is like in my philosophy that like, to be human is to make mistakes. To be human is to be imperfect. It is to learn. And when, like when you have perfected the human experience, like then maybe you like turn into like stardust and light or something mm -hmm. and you like become one with, <laughs> with the oneness. <laughs> not that we're not one with the oneness anyways. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's beautiful. Um, I'm curious before we before we move on, just how are you defining wholeness in this context? What does that word mean? Um, there are like layers to this. There's like the awareness of my wholeness, which is just like the my capacity of presence. Can I really because I've I've found it's like can I really be with both the light and the shadow? Can I really be present to the things that I like about myself and that I don't like about myself and really feel into like the full complexity of, of the moment? And also wholeness is kind of like the container of ourselves or like it is ourselves, right? And like all the parts of our, that are complexity that's existing within ourselves. And so there's like this journey of wholeness that is, um, continuously expanding my capacity to be with all the parts of myself, internal and external. So there's like internal, external wholeness. And there's a lot of ways to like slice and dice and look at that. I, I feel like wholeness a lot of times is like a prism, right? It's like, or like our being is a prism for the wholeness and like light gets shown through. And there's like all these different shades, right? In the rainbow. Cause like, I feel like you can look at the whole, like the wholeness of my conscious evolution, like my conscious continuum, right? So like how I'm going through stages of vertical development or integral development for people that are aware of stages of development. There's also the yin and yang of energy that lives in me. And then that's another way of looking at wholeness of like, okay, so these are two halves and how do these fit in me and what's my more preferred balance of yin and yang. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that we can look at wholeness and all of it, I feel like comes down to shadow work and, and breathing more fully into our experience. Mm -hmm. What do you, how would you define wholeness? Actually, I was going to ask you how you would 
describe it to Haley if she was to ask or how she asked in the past? She asked a lot of really good questions. Um, Haley asked me in this moment, I just feel like I'd be like, well, it's wholeness is all of us. And being really aware of what's happening in us. And the more aware I can be of what's happening in me, the more I can love the different parts in me. And the more I love the different parts in me, the more I can love the different parts in you. That's a question she'll ask me sometimes. It's like, do you love yourself more? Or do you love me more? Do you love me more? I'm always like, you know, to be honest, I can't really love you actually any more than I can love myself. I think that's like, you'll hear a lot of parents, I think, say like, oh, I love my kids so much. You know, more, I love everyone more than myself or that martyr complex that lives in so much of so many people, but and it has lived in me too. But I'm pretty aware that like the more I learn to love myself, the more I increase my capacity to love, period, and to know myself as love. And so, yeah, that's like, it's kind of why this like wholeness journey is like so um important to parenting i feel like because the more i reparent these parts of me with love the more i get the embodiment of love and the more embodiment i have of unconditional love of all the unconditional love that maybe i didn't have when i was little put that in quotes um the more i can show up and like really show up with unconditional love with my daughter and all the moments that I don't have that unconditional love is usually a spot where I'm a dysregulated or in shadow. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sort of seeing three things happening simultaneously. Uh, one is sort of the awareness that is aware of the other two things that are playing out essentially. And then the other two things, the second thing is just like evolutionary journey of coming into greater and greater wholeness. And I kind of, for some reason, a stock market wine is showing up for me visually. It's not normally a metaphor that arises, but it kind of has like this, there's ebbs and flows or ups and downs, but over the, if you zoom out over the long course of time, it generally has like an upward trajectory. Um, and then maybe if like a life circumstance happens, like a divorce or a death or something where there could be a big, a big crash, a uh, big shadow crash or a mm. trauma crash, but generally there's sort of like a greater levels of awareness over greater spans of time that come online. Um, and then there's also like the, the third thing I guess would be like what you were just speaking to perfectly about sort of transmitting from that awareness or embodying and then being that, that wholeness, um, that is both evolving, but is also fully whole already in its its expression. Um, yeah, yeah, I love that because it's like it's like, are we ever not whole? No, like we are whole. There's like a there's like a gift in the intimacy that we get in getting to know ourselves, to get to know more of that wholeness and and being with more of that wholeness. And there's just like more, just I don't know more experience, mm. more sensation, more sati satiation. Mm -hmm. 
And so and what I'm curious about is when you're working with moms and I think you work with fathers as well or all sorts of parents, I imagine that um, like many people today, the life can seem really full and really busy and really chaotic and stressful. And like just getting through the day is already a, a small miracle. Um, and it seems like for many that the world might be moving faster than it's ever been moving before and change is happening and ways that feel um, like it feels like the future is more unpredictable than ever before as well. And so how, I guess what I'm curious about is how does the work that you do help to sort of ground people in maybe the chaos of ordinary life um, while also like opening themselves up to more <laughs> change and transformation which is its own chaotic journey it can be its own chaotic journey in itself and i imagine that there might be like some initial overwhelm when it comes to working on oneself when just working on getting through the day itself is already quite a challenge hmm. i mean when i hear that i you know i just think of victim mentality <laughs> and how like easy it is to be a victim to time hmm. You know, and um, and that is like a really big, like initial roadblock, right? Of it's like the the, the ultimate excuse, right? Like, well, I my job and my schedule and my kids and my thing, and I don't have any time for myself, and I, I, I just want I want to challenge that. Like we, and I want to challenge that because I feel like what, what's underneath that often, not always, but often what's underneath that is like a martyr complex of like, there's a, there's a massive cultural shadow and it's not unique to women, but I do see it a lot in motherhood of like, I have to take care of everybody's needs before me. I have to take care of my boss. I have to take care of my spouse. I have to take care of the kids and I can't take care of myself. And we, especially women, I think forget that like women, especially that are in their feminine essence, like their nourishment and their well-being sets the tone for the family. And I think we've gotten really far away from the awareness of how crucial our regulation is. So it's like, you know, uh, the mother's nourishment from a feminine masculine perspective, like sets the tone for the whole family, but from the co-regulation, I mean, it's like the child was inside of the mother for nine months. That child just needs mommy more than dad. When they, especially in those first like two years, they just do. And it's, and it is crucial for the mother to be well-regulated and like that, I mean, that is like, I think the biggest challenge of parenthood period is like, okay, like I'm going to show up better for my family. I'm going to show up better for work when I'm well-resourced. So what can I, what can I do? Not like, oh, 
I know there's the chaos of life. And I know we have all these things, but what's one thing that like for anyone who's listening, like what's one thing that you could do to give yourself a little bit of space or even just check. Could you, when you make your morning coffee, like just take five minutes while you're doing that to check in with yourself. What would my body need today to feel regulated? I feel like that's a big step that we're not, that many, many of us are just skipping right over and getting lost in the flow of the day because regulation and that awareness and care for ourselves, this is where we like abandon ourselves like completely, but like, it could be really simple stuff. Like I'm going to go stand, like I work from home. So I'm going to go stand outside in the sun in between my phone calls today. It's it's really not asking that much of me. Like I can find that level of time and that's going to like help me, right? Like go do that, maybe barefoot, give mm-hmm. myself like a minute to like, like that's going to help me. I'm going to make sure I drink enough water. I'm going to make sure I go to bed. I'm not going to binge watch TV tonight. I'm going to go to bed early. You know, those are things that can be big game changers. And I want to say that. And I'm also like, and I don't, def- I definitely don't do that every day. <laughs> like, I'm not like, like, I definitely have my moments where I'm like, Haley and I are like, oh man, this movie, let's, let's, you know, it's a little bit late, but we're going to start this movie and watch it late. And but we know, like, it's a choice. It's a conscious choice of like, okay, I might be a little dysregulated tomorrow because I didn't get my usual like sleep. So how can I, but can I roll with that? Like, so now I have these coping mechanisms to help me regulate. So what can I do the next day? Or what can I take off my plate the next day? Just say no. Like what, and I, and I want to like, I feel like there's a lot in that shadow too around parenthood of like, I gotta like take my kids to, you know, all the birthday parties and all the extracurricular activities. And, you know, we gotta do all these things what would parenthood look like if I still not saying to like keep them in a bubble, but if I fiercely protected their regulation, like what would it look like to know like, wow, we were up a little bit late. I know we said we were going to go to play group and that would be fun, but I think we're just going to have a home day. We're not going to go, you know, I know I really need to go to the grocery store, but you know what? That can wait another day. Or we're going to be late to school and that's okay. I'm going to get on that naughty list with the teacher because my kid's five minutes late to circle time. Been that mom. <laughs> you know, I feel like we, we, that's where we, that, that shift of like, I'm a victim to time and the chaos versus I'm in a, in attunement with my child and I know what my child needs. I know what I need. And I'm going to, I'm going to just shift things because these are non-negotiables for me sometimes. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> and I will say that took a lot of shadow work for me to get there. <laughs> so I remember doing my first 10 day seven meditation retreat, gosh, six years ago now, I guess. <clears throat> and, um, the first five days, I pretty much was crying my eyes out the entire time and more or less having a prolonged panic attack. And then by day 10, I was in like this state of calm, just simple peace, this flowing, grounded peace. 
And I called my my partner at the time. We had been together for nine years at that point. And within the first 10 seconds of talking to her, she said, Tucker, I've never heard you like this before. You sound so good. And I think what she was experiencing was me from a resourced, calm, grounded nervous system, or regulated, to use your word, like a deeply regulated being that was on the other line with her. But I didn't, now that's my normal state, I guess. Uh, but at that time, I thought that was like a special meditative state that people you know, need to like work really hard to get into or something like that. I didn't realize right. that that was just actually baseline or, you know, um, and I had realized that, wow, like for many years prior to that, I was, my baseline was a consistently dysregulated state. And so what I'm curious about is how does one maybe listening to this or someone that you're working with even know what regulation is and feels like when, our culture sort of often um, celebrates dysregulation as normalcy. Yeah, it's a great point. It's like, like I used to have like almost like a bit of pride around my dysregulation. Like it was like, oh, look at how much I could handle. That was the story I used to tell myself. Like, look at how good I am at handling so much. I can handle so much. And I found myself kind of constantly living on the edge of that dysregulation, like on the threshold of, oh, I'm like almost dysregulated, but not totally dysregulated. So like I, I can kind of keep pushing it until I just like have those moments where I'd snap or have like a meltdown or just like really tired. And um, I guess like things maybe like, it's almost like to notice that you are dysregulated maybe is the first step, like noticing like, like dysregulation might look like, um, like anytime you might experience that flight, flight or freeze, right? Like you're kind of going into that sympathetic nervous system where you're like kind of freezing up or your heart's beating fast. Um, or maybe you're really numbed out. Like I work with a lot of women who are like, I, I, like, I don't, feel anything mm -hmm. or I work with, I've seen a lot of women who are, you know, especially like working women that are, it's like rewarded, right? Cause you don't want to be reactionary, right? There's the other side of that. Like, okay, well, I don't want to be going off the handle with my emotions. So they suppress them a lot, but then they're not actually feeling them. And I feel like that ends up it's like a closet that's like gonna overflow and like you can't shut the door anymore. Like at some point like that happens and you have these like big cries. And so it's kind of just like noticing like, well, do I feel tense? Do I not feel anything? What would it be like to slow down? Like, what is it like when I slow down and I'm just like with myself? Is that uncomfortable? I would say a lot of people experience that like uncomfortableness, like, okay, I'm slowing down, but I gotta do. And so just like noticing, like, can I just 
be at ease just being myself. And it is, it's a journey. Because I feel like there's the, it's not, I mean, there are like lots of like, right, the, the polyvagal theory, you could, you gotta, you can gargle and, and stimulate your, <laughs> you know, they're all, you rub your temples <laughs> and like do so, like there's a lot of really great like somatic exercises that can like help stimulate regulation. Mm -hmm. I mean, borderline regulation you know, or borderline baseline regulations like our um, sleep our food, right? If we're being mal, if we're malnourished, stress in our life. It's like sleep, moving our body, exercising, food, and stress. It's like those are like the main pillars that like can disrupt our regulation. And then the other part that is, I would say less, I'd say it's less concrete to manage is like our emotions. Cause like when we get triggered by, or when we're triggered, like that can really put us into a dysregulated state. And so having a skill set to like help manage and process that can be really helpful in coming back into regulation mm -hmm. and just getting to know ourselves. It's like really getting to know yourself, like running, my, maybe it's like running my hands in cold water is something that like really kind of brings me back to myself. You know, everybody's different and every moment's different too. So there's like a whole bunch, but I guess just in general, it's just starting to notice. I think my biggest, yeah. If you're like looking to do one thing to start to bring your body and awareness into like more, a more regulated state, just checking in, just like checking in with me and maybe doing like a quick body scan, like what's going on in me. I think the step one is just building that connection back to ourselves. And if you're a parent, that connection with ourself is going to be the foundation of the skill of building attunement with the child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine that if a child is um, spending so much of their childhood with a parent that is often dysregulated, then they're essentially learning that normalcy is to be dysregulated. And then they're taking on that pattern, which of course is not happening on a cognitive level. It's fully on a somatic, energetic, unconscious um, level for many, many years, if not for our entire lives, we can be in that place. Yeah. I mean, I think that Yes. Like the child is, their whole nervous system is very plastic and it's formulating and growing until they're in their mid twenties. And through that, though, that stage, while their nervous system is forming, they require co-regulation to self-soothe, mm. especially up to like seven or eight. It's like the most plastic. And then again, when they go through puberty, there's another like massive rewiring that's happening in the system. Mm -hmm. And so, A, they need us to to self, to learn the self-soothing, to learn regulation. And yeah, if they're, that's where it's like, you know, we can't like just tell them to do stuff different than us. We, you know, we really need to embody the change, the change that you want to see in the world. 
I feel like that's corny, but I feel like that saying just like continues to like deepen in its truth mm -hmm. because they are co-regulating with us all the time and their nervous system is getting literally like imprinted with our nervous system. Mm -hmm. So even if we don't say something, our body language, our nervous system is communicating with them and telling them, letting them know, teaching them, oh, this is how we react. You know, when we get a phone call from that from someone we don't like, or, <laughs> you know, or when someone cuts us off in traffic, this is how we respond. You know, it, it just becomes automatic. Yeah. I'm having these funny memories of my dad when we'd all be at the dinner table as a kid. And then um, this is back when we had landlines and we would get, you know, sp spam calls and my dad would be, we're in the middle of dinner. Stop fucking. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, a part of me was like, yeah, you tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh um, my goodness. But you know, when you were sharing, I was just reflecting on so much of the modern paradigm or the modern culture is sort of around um you know achieving some some semblance of a material success. So going to a good school and getting good grades and having getting a good paycheck and having things that you love and being able to travel and um, and I just feel like that's such a beautiful way for kids and humans to feel nourished by life. And, and it potentially is placing more emphasis on sort of the quote unquote exterior realm, um, in the material realm when so much of life is also in the energetic and the emotional and the psychosomatic and and um, yeah, it seems like there's more and more awareness of how we are co-creating each other. And of course, that starts in the family system um, through these not in these non you could call them non-material ways. Um, some of them are deeply embodied, but not necessarily they're not necessarily represented by things that you can point to or see or um, touch necessarily, but also they can include all of those things. So just reflecting, I guess, with a sense of gratitude for you and the work that you're doing and helping to bring those deeper levels of awareness back into the family systems. And when they're in the family systems, especially from a young, when it's meeting the children at a young age, I feel like that will just create healthy soil for that to continue the blossom for, you know, infinite generations potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's another part of like my work that I got really, you know, really deep into is like childhood development. Cause we have, it's amazing how much we forget what it's like to be a kid, especially when you were a kid that wasn't raised with that developmental knowledge. You know, we're projecting a lot of our later stage experience onto our kids and expectation. The biggest is comes, I think, with expectations of like what kids should or shouldn't be able or what they should remember. Like I told you this yesterday. How do you not remember? Well, a child that's like five years old doesn't have a lot of episodic memory. That's memory of the past, you know? So they're still building that. So like consistency is help. It's just like, I find there's so much more grace in parenting 
when it's like, oh, right. I'm supposed to repeat myself all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to repeat this boundary again and again and again and again, because because that's what they need. And it's just like, instead of getting all this like frustrated, because it's triggering probably a wound around, I don't feel heard. Mm-hmm. It's not your th- three or four-year-old not hearing you. It's really just that they don't have episodic memory developed yet. That's mm-hmm. something that's formulating mm-hmm. as they go. And so what if it's a 16 or 17 year old that's not hearing the mom and then maybe the or the parents and the parents and saying, yeah, but they're not three, they're 16 and they're still not listening to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, all this stuff grows up. I mean, that's a, I feel like that that's a tricky question because there can be so many different factors that are coming in there. You know, it could be something that like hasn't, that has grown up from that toddler experience. There's a lot now with like teenagers, right? With like ADHD and neurodiversity in a lot of areas that can be delayed executive functioning, like delayed from not getting enough space, maybe not living in a stress-free environment enough, you know? So there's all kinds of stuff that can be happening in that age. And there can also just be, you know, shadow from the parent. Like a lot, I, I, I've experienced this exact one. Like, oh, like, like or Haley's telling me, mom, like, mom, I just feel like you're not listening to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, she said that like four times this week. You know, like, so now I kind of pick up on patterns because I'm like, and I, I just stay curious. I'm like, okay, Haley's said the same thing to me like four times, in, you know, this week that I'm not listening to her there's usually some kind of context to it. Like, like when she's showing me something new or whatever, when I dive deep into my childhood experience, like, yeah, like my mom never gave me the time of day when I tried to show her, you know, something cool that I was working on. You know, that's not necessarily, I want to, that's a hypothetical, but like, you know, there's a lot of that shadow, like that's a wound that lives in me or I've gotten, I definitely like one that, (laughs) I think I is like so ingrained in my nervous system. And I think it's ingrained in a lot of moms. It's like, do you, if you, if you don't rage clean every now and then, like, are you mm-hmm. even a mom? I think that's a, a good name, but like, I have that, like my mom would get really stressed out when guests are coming over. Cause she cares so much about like what people think. And even though I like cognitively know it and I am aware, I still get that like tension in my body when someone's coming over the house of like, oh, I gotta like clean and, and make sure it looks good. And you know, that all like goes through my system. And so, you know, if the child's not listening, they're a teenager, whatever age that they are, I think it's just to check in first. Well, and because all relationships were co-creating. So it's like, how, like, where could I be more responsible for this? Am I saying like a lot, like saying it in passing? Like I've done that one a lot where I'm like, you know, Haley or like Haley's asking me something, but I'm kind of like busy cooking dinner. And so I'm not really giving her my full attention. And then, and then I say something and then she, you know, there were like things happen, but I'm not creating like clarity and a boundary and giving her attention so that we can have like that kind of connection in that moment you know 
or am I projecting the wound of my childhood of not being heard? And so there's just kind of like, what's actually happening here and how am I co-creating this? Hmm. Yeah. And then maybe asking your kid like, hey, like I, I ask Haley, Haley's, I mean, Haley's really profound, I feel like at this point, but I ask her all the time, like, hey, like I noticed, like, you know, I noticed that you maybe were, you know, not really wanting to hear mommy right now. What's up with that? I think something that's been a saving grace in parenting for me is assuming positive intention. Mm-hmm. Like if she's not listening, like there's usually a reason that she's not listening and she's been flat out like, oh yeah, mom, I'm not listening because I, you were really angry earlier and I didn't want to listen to you because I'm, because now I'm angry at you, you know? And I, I'm like, okay, like mm-hmm. let's talk about that versus like perpetuating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're a parent and you are dysregulated, even if you're aware of it, but you know, you need to, there's a sense of needing to respond to your child in the moment, but in the moment you're coming from a dysregulated place. How, what is your recommendation for being in that situation? First of all, it's definitely going to (laughs) happen. Maybe multiple times in the same day, (laughs) but it it happens. And it's just, I think one of my go-tos, if I, if I'm aware of it fast, like fast enough, um, is like put myself, I put myself on a timeout. Mommy needs a timeout. She's like, well, I need to talk to you right now. I am not available to, to talk to you. Like, I'm really angry. I'm really angry and I need to like go be with my anger or go be with my sadness or go be with my frustration or whatever is going on. I'm like, I definitely take a mommy timeout. Um, on the other side of that, when I haven't caught myself and gone on timeout, I repair like, Hey, I re- I realized that like, there, cause there's always truth in the anger. So like I was angry about something that needs to be talked about, maybe a boundary that I needed to communicate better, <laughs> but, um, but just to let her know, like, Hey, I mean that we're all human, like, Hey, uh, that's not how I want to treat you. And that's not how I want to show up. So I'm really sorry. And then I promise, like, I always, we always try to do like real, we call real apologies when we actually make a promise of like, okay, well, what's the behavior that I can change for next time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was watching this movie the other, the other day called Somewhere in Queens with um, Ray Romano. Have you heard of it? No, but I, I, I saw you post about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really great. And in a way, it was really showing a different paradigm from, I feel like what you're sharing about. So maybe this is like more of conscious parenting or parenting coming from, you know, a place of wholeness and in a way some somewhere in Queens was um, very comically exemplifying the kind of just like, you know, what's this, argue it out in this moment and let's just take 30 seconds and be like you piece of shit you're such an idiot and then slam the door and walk away and then the tension resolves and then we can come back and love each other and it's kind of just like it's just like being in the crazy chaos of family drama 
but almost doing it in a performative way to kind of move the energy. And there's like this deep, really deep, solid foundational connection of love that was between all the characters that where you can feel like, of course, they're going to come back together. And of course, they love each other deeply, but they're just kind of like expressing their, the family sort of make, or the movie sort of making a, a satirical reference to the Italian New Yorker family culture and stuff like this. So yeah, but I'm, I'm just curious about that approach maybe, which um, yeah, I, I can see in some of my own family structures, like between my dad's family and my mom's family and just the way that they deal with conflict and the way that they deal with speaking from or to the passion or anger or aliveness that they're feeling versus kind of like holding it in or repressing it or mm. yeah it makes me think of the holidays <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I've had like I don't know it's taken me a long time to get to this place like for me conflict was really scary right like that kind of like outburst at, like as a kid growing up in that environment it was really scary it was like I guess maybe, but I didn't always see the coming together part. Mm -hmm. I, it felt like that scariness and like, oh, I could be abandoned. So I feel like it, I feel like there's like, and there's a space of like, what can, like when we talk about wholeness and presence, like what can, what, what does my nervous system have available right now to be with? Like, can I be with you in your like adult tantrum? Mm -hmm. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. But I've had some pretty profound moments with my parents where they've had some outbursts and I was in a state where I was like, oh, I can be with them in this and, and like and actually ask questions, like not get fearful and be like, okay, well, what's underneath that? Because there's always truth under that. And sometimes ha giving yourself the space or having safe space to be in the outburst, to be fully in the emotion allows you to like be in the experience to find what's underneath in the, in the wisdom in it. But I guess like the, I, but I guess I have like some kind of thought of like, well, like what's the, like, what is creating a healthy process around that look like, mm -hmm. you know, like maybe, and I don't know if that really speaks to that. Like, can we just do it? Or is there a commitment that we always come back after? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah there there's one one thing i wanted to share which leads into another question around community and um there's something around maybe to to um contrast it with somewhere in queens where there's this deep family structure like everyone basically born and raised in this neighborhood in queens and there's multiple generations and they're eating dinner together multiple times a week and all going to events and it's like this deep structural family system that is in place um, and that's been in place and that will be in place. It feels like there was something solid and foundational about it. And then maybe contrasting that with um, much more of the, the world, the modern world that I grew up in, where people are hyper nomadic. And as soon as they can, they're leaving for boarding school and then going to college, you know, halfway across the world and traveling all summer. And, uh, you know, everyone's families or family members are living, you know, dotted all over across the United States and only seeing each other once or twice a year in person. 
and have parents that are divorced and um it just feels like this uh there's like a, a lack of solid structures in which the family system can come and be together in um and so I have a curiosity around community itself and sort of there's like the village model and then there's sort of the suburban model and then there's sort of the hyper nomadic model in which we're finding ourselves in and just the curiosity around how parenting maybe looks and feels different within these different contextual systems and cultures um, and how you, yeah, just how you experience that personally, but then also maybe how you attune your work with different parents dependent on what type of um, environmental context that they they find themselves in. Mm. A great question. It's pretty complex. Because I feel like, A, I mean, often people are having kids at different times. So what often when someone comes into parenthood, their whole community kind of shifts and there's seeking new community, which I know a lot of people, it's like, where's the village? And it's like, you have to kind of create your own village. And that takes like trial and error and bringing people in the fold and seeing how it goes. And there's like a bit of like feeling out, like, do we have aligned values? Like, do we have sacred principles that like kind of mesh together? Um, so I find it helpful to maybe to be clear what your own values are. I think that can help have clarity of like where there's alignment with others. Because I do find in my own experience with parenting and I, I homeschool Haley at this time and we've kind of been experience, you know, like trying to do some alternative school options and we've done Acton and, you know, forest schools and, you know, even in these alternative spaces, which where I find, I do find more parents that share those like-minded values with me. Um, even still, it's like, you know, there's, there are certain things that I realize I'm like, wow, this is actually like, like, it's really important to me. An example would be like for Haley to be able to, um, like something that's important is that she is able to take risk. Like I'm a, I'm not a helicopter mom. I, I guess I don't think I am, but maybe I do sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I try to be, I'll say I am consciously making effort to create space for her to take risk and be independent and her to make mistakes and her to try things on her own. I think it's really important. And I experience like some, with different mom groups or that are like have a polarized, feels almost polarized opposite of that, of like really closely like trying and, and almost like that. And I find that hard to, like there are certain values in that that are hard to, um, I want to say like coexist in because I've, so an example is like, you know, I trust Haley. She has been going to these outdoor programs and like in the out, you know, it's like, she's really getting to know her body. So like when she climbs a tree, like I know that like we have a rule that like, I'm not going to help her climb up the rock or climb up the tree. 
she has to do what her, but I want her to feel like, what does my body feel safe doing? And if my body doesn't feel safe going up this high, then I'm not going to go. If my body, if my body is not, if I'm not able to get my body down from this high, then I'm not going to try I'm not going to do it. I can try it and I'll be present. I'll be there with her, you know, but I want her to be a little more sovereign in developing that self sense of safety. We have, and so now, I mean, now that she's like eight and a half, I mean, I'm very confident when she is climbing a tree, we went to, um, like an outdoor, we were invited to like an outdoor play group with like a bunch of parents that I'm not familiar with. We were like friends with like one of the parents. Um, and Haley's, yeah, like climbing a tree and she wanted to wear her like leather jacket and, you know, she's just kind of like doing this like thing. Like I could just see like the, like there were other parents that were like, like other parents that I'm talking to that were like, well, can we go stand closer to the tree? And like, like I could just feel like the anxiety in their system of like me allowing her to experience this. And I'm like, yeah, she's, she could, she's really good at climbing trees. (laughs) And she was really, she was so aware of it. Like there were other kids that wanted to try to climb the tree too. And they were like, they're grabbing at certain branches. She was like, oh, that branch, that branch is dead. You don't want to hang on that. Like, so she's like, I, I know she's really aware of certain things. And I, it was just interesting in certain contexts to, yeah, like ha- not be in alignment there. And, and actually like my child is now creating this like amount of anxiety for others. Um, so I have like a group that like, I feel like really do share similar values in how they raise their kids and it's really nice so like when she's over their house or I have their kids over my house it almost just feels like family Mm. you know there's like a a more of a fluidity of like our kids like being together and it's good to experience other things right because it's not always the same yeah yeah that's beautiful I I remember my closest family friends growing up were the Robinson family and the dad was a reverend and I would go over to their house and before each meals we would hold hands and sing you know Christian songs and do a prayer together and it was so different from my family um and it was lovely but you know very just to have the diversity of different values and the way they manifest in different family systems felt uh, really important to my upbringing um, but also this sense of, yeah, having enough shared residence so that there can be a sense of familiarity and safety and sort of a letting down of our guard and um, being able to kind of fully express ourselves without the anxiety of knowing whether we're um, tiptoeing over somebody else's values or boundaries or whatever. So I could mm-hmm. see how both of those contexts would be really important for a child's development. And ultimately for the whole family to experience as well. Like one of the gifts that my my parents, I think the greatest gift they ever gave me, you know, beyond my my birth itself, um, was traveling to so many different remote parts of the world and mm. going to these off the beaten path places where I was exposed to very, very, very different cultures from my own at a very young age and for a very consistent number of years throughout my childhood, which 
continued um into my adult life and yeah it feels feels probably more important than my actual uh, academic education was the the um worldview education i got through experiencing all these different types of ways of being human on the planet mm. Mm. i love that i'm like oh. I mean, we go on lots of adventures but i'm like i want to travel more <laughs> daily <laughs> that's next yeah. yeah that's really beautiful i do feel like there is such a heightened almost like pressure and contraction around academics and comparing academics and getting kids to read so early. And there's not enough of that, like just space to just allow them to be creative and to like, like, I think there's a study that like, um, where they define genius as applying creativity to solutions mm. and to problem solving and like, you know, kids that are like five, like, like it's like 85% of five-year-olds are geniuses. Hmm. And then like, by the time they get to high school, it's like only like 10% or, or something really small, like our geniuses okay. still. And, you know, it's like, so how are we giving kids that space to think out of the box? And I think literally physically getting kids outside of the box and traveling is definitely one way to experience and keep that creativity going I think that's been one of my um like I, I'll say I'm nervousness around public school and like oh like I want her to have that but now she's at an age where she's like I would like to try school next year and I'm like okay <laughs> so we'll see but I, yeah, there's wanting to preserve that mm. creativity and spark. It's so, funny. It makes me go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just, I was thinking of like kind of tying it into like that other conversation of community. Like she has one friend who like they invite Haley over and they're like, because she thinks outside the box so much. And they're like, oh, like we like love her be being like, cause their daughter is just not like that. Like she likes to like you know follow the directions and do the good things and so they're like yeah we like having Haley over she really really thinks outside the box it's really yeah. good for her and I'm like oh god <laughs> that's great yeah yeah um there's a number of questions I have more I mean they just keep coming but I I wanted to circle back to what was one of the original intentions for this conversation was around specific shadow patterns, or maybe you could even call them like shadow archetypes that show up specifically in motherhood. And I'm curious if um, if you'd like to dive into some of that or maybe give a top level overview. Oof. Yeah, yeah, I like at the time we're doing this, I have like a six week program where I'm doing like a shadow group with mothers. So I'll probably have more to report after. Um, <laughs> but just like stuff that I see like all the time. Um, I guess like it kind of comes into too, like I, I, this is where to start the thread. Um, I really believe that there's more easefulness in motherhood 
when we can relax into our feminine design, I think there is a biological initiation into motherhood that is preparing us to be in this, like in our feminine fullness in a way that maybe we haven't experienced in a way that we can give to our, our children. And that actually is built on earlier stages of development that have not been fully matured. <clears throat> so a lot of women are not able to, or have a lot, I'll say a lot of shadow that I see is around all the areas where we're actually in resistance to our own feminine design. And that makes me like so sad. And I've definitely done so much work around this and I keep seeing it. So rest, like I can't rest. Like I need to be doing, doing, doing hyper independence. Like I, I, I can't trust anybody else to do this. I have to do it all. I'm the only one that knows how the baby wants to be fed. I'm the only one who can make the lunches the right way. You know, I'm the only one that can do the work and the kids and I can't trust anybody else to do it. Because I mean, and, and it is like, like, like the dad is going to like maybe fumble a little bit and maybe the child will cry a little bit and that's okay. <laughs> like he has to figure it out too the over mothering, like the hell like that, that's kind of tied into like the shadow of control because right. Control equals there's always, so there's, I want to say every shadow has positive intention. Like there, it like the shadow of being hyper controlling is because like somebody obviously did not have enough felt sense of safety and they've had to create, like they weren't cared for. So they can't trust to the safety will be provided by their partner, by their job, by their, you know, parents. So they have this like hyper need of being in control to create the safety and to create, you know, do all the things for the child. And so like, that's one I see like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Cause like when the child comes, like the child is chaos. I would say like, women that have experienced the good girl complex, right? Like the shadow around like I, and I can see how this like comes in, right? Like just like the child is dependent on the parent for many generations, a woman was dependent on a man. And I would say in a way that maybe wasn't a healthy balance of the masculine and feminine. Like, I believe it's amazing if you can be a stay-at-home mom and be it but be in a healthy relationship that really honors and respects the work and the regulation and the care that you are putting into your child and I would say we've I'll just you know blanket statement over the culture it is not like this for everyone but like a lot of our culture has gone through um a really painful wound around not respecting the work that women do as mothers and how much time it takes or like, and how little people even are educated about the transformation that a woman goes through in motherhood. It is nine months of preparing for birth, 
It is the birth. It is two years postpartum of the nervous system rewiring and the nervous system being in such a plastic state that it is like the most malleable it's been since they were a small child. And that just like the child's nervous system needs time to develop, like the mother's nervous system needs time to rewire in that period, two years, not three months, not two weeks, you know? And so there's like, like I saw a post on like, in like one of the mom groups on Facebook around this woman was like really struggling with her husband that like, you know, she's, he's coming home and he's like, you know, you haven't, you haven't cleaned the house. Like she had an eight, an eight week old baby. And like, he's like, you know, you haven't cleaned the house or you're just lying around with the baby. I've been working all day. And it's like, whoa, how are we not like the baby needs to be held all the time. Like the baby's, you know, like whenever the baby's asleep, the mom needs to sleep. Like it's hard to do like anything in those, like in the first year of the child being born. And so I just feel like so sad that there are these stories that now this woman is experiencing some level of shame that she's not doing a good, a good enough job, that she's not a good enough mom. And it's like these cultural shadows are impacting women's ability to just radiate in motherhood. And I'm like, and so some of it's cultural and like in this like re-education, some of it's just like, you know, the shadow in ourselves from our childhood, like it wasn't safe. Like no one was going to take care of me. I can't trust. And we have to repair that in ourselves and repair our earlier stages of development and repair the feminine initiations. Cause I can tell you most, most women like get their menarche, get their period. And it is just like, here's some tampons. Good luck with you. And that's another period where a woman's coming into womanhood and like going through a massive nervous system rewiring. And yeah, there's a lot of repair that is needed. So these are, yeah, I don't know, just some, there's many. And they're all shared. I feel like a lot of women have them in their own flavor. Hmm. Have you seen the documentary Babies? I haven't. Babies. I'd love to share with you. It's so well done. It's one of my favorite. There's a TV show called Babies, which is not the one I'm talking about. And there's a movie called Babies. And they mm -hmm. basically filmed, I think it's five babies on five different continents and five completely different cultures. And there's no words or narration or anything. It's just footage of the babies from birth to their one year birthday um yeah and to me it it was just wild to see the different flavors of parenting and of motherhood specifically that exists within all five of these different cultures um and so many of the qualities are quite universal of course and um but so much of them were really really different depending on the sort of environmental context like the family that was living in tokyo in a modern apartment versus the the woman in a small rural tribe in mozambique or a different uh, i forget what african country it was 
Um, I don't know why I'm bringing this up other than to, there's a curiosity that's of coming evoking in me around the different ways that parenting has exhibited itself in different cultures and how with access to the internet and this like hyper-connected, hyper-global world that we live in, if there's ways to integrate wisdoms from both different historical time periods, but also different cultural periods existing now. And yeah, if there's ways in which we can like create pockets of places within, let's just say America or Europe or where probably most of the listeners are, um, where we can like reintegrate and weave together different types of practices and um yeah there's there's a way in which i would love to create communities uh intentional communities or land-based regenerative eco-village projects where these different types of practices could sort of exist as both like there's like a left brain and a right brain orientation to it. There's a way in which we can actually, you know, take different ways of being together and then create different practices that people can follow and teach to different generations. And then they sort of take on their own tradition over time. Um, but then also there's just a way in which we can sort of be with deep presence and attunement and trusting our intuitions and our, and our, our own sort of innate capacities and person our unique personalities and the ways we which we like to show up and like just bringing those two together and sort of a moment by moment experience. Yeah. Oh, Haley popped in to get her camera bag. Oh. <laughs> You'd be pleased. She has a proper camera now. Um, nice. I got a camera so, when I was 13. It changed my life. <laughs> yeah. I thought of that because I know you do the film. And yeah. Haley's so excited to learn this now. Awesome. Um, sorry to derail off from your question. You know, it makes me think of so like one of my good girlfriends just had a baby like a year ago, and her husband, his family is from India, and they have like all this like deep cultural belief around like like the mother does not touch anything in those like first couple of months. Mm -hmm. They all like kind of move in, they show up, they cook all the food, she's not allowed in the kitchen. And I was just like Oh, like, I'm so glad that I got to witness like my friend, like experiencing that level of care mm -hmm. in those moments and like the honoring and like how important it is to like let her rest and that that was like normalized because I would say in America, that's very rare. It's like mm -hmm. maybe people kind of pop in and actually most parents I know kind of have like the, I want to go into isolation in this like time like no, like nobody come in I don't want to deal pro, mostly because they don't want to like deal with the the people not being maybe as self-aware or as helpful you know that like I think a lot of I'll say a lot of millennial parents have this feeling of like I have to take care of my parents and I don't have space to do that when I have my child or at least in those like early moments so I'm like, oh, it would be really nice. I'm like, I have no idea where that actually, where that starts. I know that there are some like birthing cottages. There are like doulas that do a lot of this work where they 
kind of like move in with the family and are that extra support system. So I, I see it in like little glimpses, but it'd be really cool. I mean, if there is like intentional community or, you know, I've seen people too, like when someone's having a newborn, it's like, oh, like we're gonna like make a spreadsheet and we're gonna like drop off a, like everybody sign up for a different day and somebody drops off a dinner, you know, every day of the week so they don't have to cook. You know, things like that, that I think could be really supportive of some of these other ancient wisdom traditions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of work, I feel like, that needs to go into revolutionizing our family and community systems, especially just in the way that we look at parenthood, motherhood, maternity, paternity leave. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have a question around, you mentioned them, especially, you said, especially millennial parents and that got me interested in if there's different generational shadows that show up in parenting or in motherhood specifically. Um, I would say yes. (laughs) The look on your face is great. I know. I was like, I think I'm like, yes. And I'm a millennial. (laughs) And I would say Uh, I work with mostly millennials. All right. So would you be able to speak more to the specific parenting conditions and and shadows that show up in millennials and maybe also the gifts of parenting that you see in millennial parents? Yeah, I would. Because I would just say, like, I feel like this generation is like the, to me, is like the generation that is like, really wake like just really working really hard (laughs) working they're so fucking hard to break cycles like it's like it's like it's like I don't know where or how you break the cycles but I want to break the like I want to I feel like every millennial mom I guess most millennial moms that I encounter like I really they're really making an effort whether that's like feeding their kids differently educating themselves on parenting, exploring alternative parenting, trying to get their kids outdoors more, even knowing that executive functioning and regulation are vocabulary words in there. You know, it's like, I just want to like celebrate any of those, like any of the ways that you are making any effort to break any kind of generational cycle or your, any awareness of generational cycles. You're like, you know what? Like my dad hit me and I'm not, my dad didn't hit me, but like, he was like, my dad hit me and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hit my kids. It can really be as simple as that. I mean, we're, we're kind of going into the weeds of like how our childhood shadows like impact us today. You know, and, you know it can be just as simple as like, you know, I, I mean, I grew up eating, like I had unlimited TV unlimited tv unlimited video games and unlimited pop tarts and captain crunch and like you know i mean i can't i can't believe i'm alive the way that i parent my the way i parent my child and i'm like oh like well you can have like a bite of that but like let's not go crazy on you know and i'm thinking like jesus i would just eat a whole box of captain crunch without thinking about it yeah (laughs) The nineties. <laughs> oh, so good. Like get home from school. Totally. Throw a Pop Tart and toaster. <laughs> yeah. I feel lucky that I I don't 
I don't even like the taste of it anymore. Like if somebody gave me fruit roll-up or Swedish fish or something, I wouldn't even, I kind of get nauseated just looking at them. But they used to be such a staple. Not a, not really in my, in, under my roof, but certainly at a lot of my friends' houses. Yeah. Some Twinkies. Yeah. Yeah, I eat ice cream pretty much every night, like a half a pint of ice cream every night for a significant portion of my childhood. <laughs> Crazy. Oh. I think a lot of like millennial parents I see are really, um, like, I just want to say you're not alone. Like, I think some of them sometimes feel alone in this like, I really want to do things differently and I have no idea how to be a parent because I, you know, like I didn't love certain things that my parents do and now I'm trying to do something different, but I think we're all trying to do something different. Yeah. And I imagine there's a shadow in that as well, or not a shadow. I mean, a shadow, yes, but also a, just a, um, there's a risk in that, I guess, of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, yes. trying to reinvent the wheel and trying things become more complex. And there's so many options now. And we walk into the grocery store and there's five bajillion types of cereal to buy or something. And there we go online and there's, you know, the, the entire world's wisdom on one Facebook feed or whatever. And um, so many conflicting opinions when there's so many different paradigms that are co-existing oh it's a, I often say it's like you're in the shadow grinder <laughs> as a millennial because like you're getting triggered still by your parents you're like overwhelmed overstimulated by the world and then you're trying to like figure out your stuff and parent your child differently and it's it's a it's a lot hmm. I have a curiosity around what you experience as maybe some of your own biases or blind spots or your own places where you're still working on awareness and how that might sort of impact how you show up with uh, your clients or the, the, the families that you work with and the work that you put out there. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I Like something that came up today was um like I'm still very much aware like where my nervous system like I get I'm like okay I'm feeling like stress and pressure whether that's like around a transition or around um you know cleaning my house sometimes like I mentioned that one already but like it still happened like I still I just I noticed like okay we're getting ready to like get out the door and like I have to pack all the things and how do I consciously like you know do this with my daughter so that we're like a good team without like getting worked up by the pressure of like where I'm going and like that one takes a lot of consciousness from me and I have to like really like bring it to my awareness like we're taking down all the Christmas stuff and we're packing and like you know organizing all this stuff and I'm just like okay, like the house is a bit like of a mess. And I'm like, and she's like running around with like Nerf guns and like pew, 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 pew. And then she like trips on something. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, God. And I'm like, and then she gets really, you know, she's like, oh, don't get mad. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, 
like I'm like I'm not making it bad that was an accident you made an accident the house is a mess it's my fault I'm the parent I'm the adult <laughs> so like that one yeah just like constantly like bringing that awareness of like okay I obviously have gotten worked up enough with Haley that she gets like you did she's like afraid of me getting mad at her and that crushes me I'm like oh and there's totally the part of me that's like, man, you never saw Nana get mad. Like, I don't get mad at you. Like Nana got mad at me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't want that for her or myself, you know, but it's like, that's one that I'm like, and how does that impact my, I try to be really transparent. Like when I work with clients, like I try to, I always do, I always start with a check-in and be really honest and vulnerable about like what I'm working through in my life I feel like I want to make it really clear like I get dysregulated daily sometimes it like to me I always say like parenting life I mean I could say parenting is really life is a practice like some days we hit the yoga mat and we are I say use this (laughs) metaphor a lot we're like on it. We're like hit the yoga mat. We like nailed the dancer pose. And the next day we get on and we're like, I just want to lie down in child's pose and like not move. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's like parenting's a lot like that where it's like someday, like I, I have days where I'm really tired. I let my kid watch TV because I'm like, I need to take a nap. And it's like, we're constantly like juggling, like the priorities, like what's What's worse, watching a little too much TV, but then I get a nap and I'm re-energized or I'm going to go work. Th- I have, I'm getting triggered, so I'm going to go cry in the shower while I do like some internal shadow work. I'm really angry. Like I just I try to be really honest with both Haley and my clients, actually. So I'm really honest with her too. like, hey, I'm really angry. I'm going to go punch the couch. And like journal for a little bit. And she's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or (laughs) mommy's really disassociated and I'm experiencing a freeze state. So I'm going to face plant the ground on my yoga mat. (laughs) Just like allow myself to be. She's like, mommy, what are you doing? Like, it's a new meditation. I'm face planting the ground right now. I'll I'll be with you. I'll be with you in a minute. five more minutes of face planting the ground that's hilarious yeah i have one or two more questions do you do you have another couple of minutes sure okay so i'm curious on that last point something that i've experienced in different collectives or communities um and of course a family system can become one of those or is one of those collectives is when the there's especially maybe at first when people are really getting into self-awareness and development and healing. And, and then it's like, it becomes your whole world. And um, I've noticed this in romantic partnerships in the past with me, where it's like every little micro tension becomes like this whole big thing that we need to like investigate and then become aware of, and then like consciously communicate about. And it's like, all of life grinds to a halt so that we can be with our imperfection essentially. Um, And so I'm just curious how you 
navigate that with parents where you're like bringing parents into greater awareness of all of this stuff. But then of course that can go too far and then become its own sort of pathology. I love that. It's like, I laugh too, because it's like to be with our imperfection, to step into perfection, right? It's like, that's <laughs> like, I'm just going to be with this imperfection so I can perfect myself right now. Um, I'll be right back. Let me go. I'll be right back. Like this. Got it. Check, check. Uh, <laughs> it's true. I definitely did that. Like when I first got into shadow work, I was like, like on the shadow hunt. Like, oh, oh, it smells like some shadow over there. I got to get my journal out. Get to the <laughs> bottom of this one. You know, <laughs> no one talked to me for three days. I got to get to the bottom of this core wound right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like, oh man, I don't know. I mean, everybody kind of has to go through like their own learning curve. And like, sometimes when we come into a new process, we do, we polarize the pendulum swings out and we eventually come back to the middle. And, and to some degree, that's part of how some people learn. And, <clears throat> and, you know, for people that are, I just try to remind my client, I think it, that's where it's, it can be helpful to like work with someone. You know, it's like, okay, this is the time that I'm dedicating to my inner work. You know, I can practice. I try to, I always like invite a practice, but I try to keep it really simple. So there's like simple building awareness exercises in between sessions, but it's not like we don't need to go deep on every single thing. It's like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna work on body scans. I'm just gonna check in on my one little me that I'm not abandoning anymore. You know, so like, how do we like, kind of keep a flow to life and in the essence of really being present, right? So we're not just composting the past. And when we compost past, we have more capacity for the present. Um, And yeah, sometimes it's just reminding yourself, like, it's okay to like, hang out and, you know, binge watch Home Alone with your kids and like make a bunch of hot chocolate. And I think kids can be really helpful. Like I think in relationships where it's like adults, like we're trying to be adulty maybe, but like kids can be great. Cause they're like, well, like let's play tag. Like Haley made up this game. She's like, let's play war tag. I'm like, what is that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds complicated. Okay. I'm in, like, you know, or it, it can be, so just like allowing yourself. And I think it's just knowing yourself, like, where is this something? Like, can I put this on the shelf and deal with this after bedtime? You know, or, but it, and it's a balance too. Cause then it's not like, I don't want to just like put it on the shelf and then like now I'm binge watching and doing stuff and not like tending to my stuff. So like, can I find balance of what is that balance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. I imagine there's also a tendency, there can be a, a shadow tendency to, um, you know, the balance between being transparent and communicating with your child about what is going on for you. And then there's also dumping and being, yes. sharing stuff that you should maybe share with your therapist and not your 12 year old child or whatever, or sharing stuff that's best for an adult friend to hold space for, not um, a child that has their own full plate of 
life to be with. <laughs> I'm just curious how parents, especially I'd see, I would imagine the millennial parents are navigating this of like entering into these new paradigms of parenting and of new forms of conscious communication, but then knowing what's right for my child and what's right for my child at different ages, at different developmental levels. Oof. This is, I love, I love this topic so much because um, emotionally dumping's not great. Uh, I definitely grew up in emotional dumping zone. It, it took me a long time to actually realize that's what was happening. Um, first and foremost, it, it's like be well-resourced. Like I think having a therapist, a coach, a mom group, um, um, a mom friend who is going to be with you in a way that's helping you evolve, not necessarily just going to like commiserate with and like perpetuate victimhood mentality. Like who's going to like help pull you forward, like having resources that you can, maybe your mom is awesome at that, you know, and that's awesome. I'm, that would be amazing. So like, who are the, like, where can you go to like unpack? Cause there is a need to just to kind of emotionally dump to, but like, where's the, the proper or like the available container for that dumping? Maybe it's your journal. Like sometimes just having a journal and just like bleh, word vomit into if you're like a more feminine essence being like, maybe that's moving it through your body by listening to like really sad sappy music or you know like there's also like emotional like dumping that can be processed through the body but like having the resources because obviously there's a need and then you know there's a developmentally appropriate is it can be tricky um and something that's been really helpful for me is waiting waiting for questions hmm. and providing simple answers and waiting to see if she asks for more. And uh, I'll give a context where that was like really helpful is like navigating my divorce. You know, Haley was quite young. She was like three and a half. And so what, you know, when we were going through some of those like tricky spots and even still like as her awareness grows, like she can see deeper levels and she has questions, but I just wait until she has a question. Like, Hey mommy, what's going on? You're really sad and provide like a simple solution. Like, you know, I'm really sad. We're going, uh, mommy's going through something right now. And, um, I just need to be with my sadness. Often she'll just be like, well, I can be with you in your sadness if you like, you know, but sometimes, you know, sometimes she not off, but she might not ask well, why are you sad? And now that she's a little older, you, maybe she does. And she's like, well, well, what's, you know, why is your heart sad? You know, I'm like, oh, well, you know, to give a little more truth and see if that's satisfying. Um, I worked with a therapist when I went through that and she just had this like great advice around that the child's not ready to hear more until they ask. So it's kind of like developmentally, I don't know what's always appropriate, but it's kind of like their capacity because they might, even though they might be developmentally ready for something, they might not be ready for something. 
or we might be projecting what that developmental stage is for them. Um, and, and if you notice that you're emotionally dumping, just apologize. Like, hey, I noticed I was doing something then. And how was that for you? Oh, that was kind of a lot for me, mom. You okay? <laughs> oh, good. I don't know if that's a good, it's yeah, trial and error. Yeah. Yeah, I'm resonating with everything you shared and and also remembering moments in my childhood when I felt like I wanted to know more but was too afraid to ask. I think this is particularly when I was maybe older, like a teenager, and I was feeling kind of introverted and shy and um, yeah, maybe like had questions around my parents' divorce or something like that. Um, but kind of repressed my curiosity because I had my own parts that were feeling scared. Um, and so I wonder if there's a way in which parents, you know, can also attune to when that might be coming mm -hmm. up for the child and then be more proactive and sharing or inviting in sharing even. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think it's kind of full circle. Cause like, I was like, we, it's like we, with regulation, how do I check out? I check in with myself, right? So like the more we check in with ourselves, the more we build that skill to check in with others and checking in with our kids can be really powerful. Like even if you notice like, wow, I think, I think Haley's like really angry. Just check in. Hey, are you really angry? Nope, I'm not. I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe I'm really angry because I that maybe that was my own projection or something. So just checking in, like if I have a story or like I've had definitely been like, you like really sad? Like, is something going on with like you, you and your father or something? And she's like, Oh, no, yeah, I'll find. I'm like, oh, okay. So like, is that living to me? Or am I creating, you know, just creating space? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be helpful to have like routine check-ins like we're going to check in every Sunday is our like family check-in day or for some for us a lot of times it's at um bedtime bedtime is this like magical truth telling deep conversation space because it's like it's dark we're relaxing we're snuggling and as we kind of recount the day like all kinds of like new awarenesses kind of pop up. Like I actually, I was really angry when you did that mom. I'm like, Oh, well, tell me, tell me more. <laughs> so I feel like just checking in on our kids. Like, I don't know if you recall, if you're listening, like, how does it feel when somebody checks in on you? Yeah. I would make a distinction there where there's such subtle energetic ways that we can check in and often there can be maybe loaded check-ins where it's like are you grumpy you know but it's kind of more like an accusation that's great that's, yes. that's a question like literally uh, from a literary perspective it's a question but it's more like a statement and then it becomes for me it can feel like an attack or like an accusation and maybe I am or maybe I'm not grumpy but to invoke in like an energy of whole regulated wholeness that is bringing a care, a caring curiosity 
versus the sort of like loaded approach. And obviously both are coming from a place of care at the end of the day, and they're both forms of love. And so, um, you know, and re recognizing that we all do this, I do this all the time, of course. Um, but yeah, just making those like um, energetic distinctions. I love that. It makes me think of declarative language. Like I'm noticing that you're stomping around. What's up with that? <laughs> or like I've noticed, you know, just like sharing what you're noticing, and then you know, kind of open that curiosity of you know what, what's underneath that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, love that. Well, I'm curious for parents or anyone who might be listening and interested to know more about your work and what that actually looks like um, in terms of what programs you offer, services. Um, yeah, would you be able to share more about that? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, you can find more at raisingwholeness.org. That is my website where I kind of have all the latest ways to work with me. Um, I work with people one-to-one. -one. So like parents, mothers that are really like, I want, I just want to like dive into my personal stuff and start to like unpack and work through that. Um and I have like a package where I work with women and also like repairing that like feminine essence. And we kind of go through some more of those commonalities. Um, I work with people one-on-one -on -one in that way. I work with some parents just as like one-offs. Like I got really triggered with my kid and I'm having a hard time working through this like shadow crash. Like, and I'll work with some people just, um, with just some supportive shadow work. Um, and I do have some, um, courses that I'm putting together right now around motherhood and kind of going through the repair in these earlier stages of childhood. Um, and I have a free ebook that you can download that kind of talks about that. Um, a vision of feminine wholeness that I put together with a good friend of mine, uh, Cassandra Angus, who's also like a feminine embodiment coach. And yeah, I'm really excited. We're working on a program called Repair um, that will be available in the spring. And we're going to go through uh, with a cohort of women, period, any woman at any stage in their life but go through the earlier stages of childhood development but also go through and repair the feminine initiation points so like menarche and then maiden you know going through maidenhood and the lessons that many of us were not guided into that sacred part of our life and so how do we build that embodiment of maidenhood that sets us up and prepares us for motherhood um so i'm really excited about that coming up that's great. Those are... Can you just briefly share more about what maidenhood is? I don't think that's a word that's used too frequently, at least not in my social circles. Yeah. So there's like vertical development, right? Which is like our consciousness and how we evolve. And then um, another lens of our wholeness is like the feminine continuum, right? There is like the feminine journey of in the stages of development that a woman goes through coming out of the womb into childhood 
And then in puberty, she comes into her menarche where she gets her period. And this is like a real, like, so each feminine stage of development goes through a massive rewiring of the nervous system. And the same will happen again at motherhood and then again at menopause. And maidenhood is the period of time between our menarche and our motherhood. And it's this whole journey where like as a child, you're being cared for and you're learning about yourself and the world and but like in a way that you're not necessarily responsible for yourself you're being cared for and once you come into menarche like you come into your period you're fertile like you have this like incredible power to create life and the, and with that comes the responsibility of knowing yourself as a sacred being and part of that is like so it's starting to take that responsibility to know the self. And so maidenhood is this like journey of like coming into like, how do I cycle? Like, how do I live in alignment with my cycle? What does my cycle mean to me? Like, what is my, the wisdom of my body sharing with me in these moments? And how do I start to really care for my regulation on my own? And like, how do I, how do I start to explore what my passions and my gifts are? And how do I learn to build a balance and care for myself in this world of exploration and balance? And how do I learn to navigate my relationships? And so there's this like real like self-care and self-discovery and alignment that's happening in maidenhood, or I'll say in a mature maidenhood, but each stage of development you know, becomes the fertile soil for the next stage of development. And so if our childhood was really stressful, then our maidenhood might not have these lessons. And I will say most women that I know <laughs> were not welcomed into maidenhood in this way, where they even be had the awareness that like being in alignment with their cycle was a thing. And being in alignment with our cycle. So like we're learning that attunement of our cycle, of our body, of the moment, of our regulation. These are all like really important, essential, like ingredients for motherhood to be able to like attune to our child, to navigate the chaos of the unknown, because I'm listening to the wisdom of my body. And mm -hmm. like, uh, like it's so amazing and to like be you able know, to learn how to trust and like be in right relationship with the masculine to maybe heal whatever father wounds that we've had or mother wounds start to unpack that stuff so yeah maidenhood can be I think a really special place and um and if we can do this work in us we can hopefully uh welcome the next generation into a healthy maidenhood. Mm. Feels like a beautiful place to end. Thanks. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, I appreciate you. And I just want to share that I've uh, received shadow, formal shadow work from you twice as Jen was sort of the, the coach and I was the client in that scenario. And both times were, yeah, some of the best shadow work sessions I've ever had, honestly. Um, really um yeah 
I don't know what to say other than <laughs> I would give my highest recommendation to you and the work that you do. And I'm just grateful you exist. I'm grateful you're a friend in my life and that we've had this podcast that we can now share with others. So thank you so much. You Tucker, that was really sweet to receive. <laughs> I'm like letting that one sink in. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tucker. Hi, Haley. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> you want to say hi? Did you enjoy Christmas? I did. Yeah. What was your favorite part? My favorite part is the present opening. No, the cookie making. Wait, no, the cookie eating. Oh. oh. What type of cookies? Uh, I think they were sugar cookies. They were sugar sugar cookies with sprinkles and frosting and all of that kind of stuff. I like the jelly ones. Oh, you like the jelly ones? Jelly cookies. You like stick your thumb in them and then you put a little jelly in the middle. Oh, uh, yeah. Nice. Did you leave any cookies for Santa? Yeah. Did he eat them? Yeah. That's Just sprinkles left. Yeah. Same. I think that's like a thing that he does is he just leaves sprinkles in all these different houses. He doesn't tend to clean up his crumbs, I've noticed. <laughs> I guess he's busy, so he doesn't have a lot of time to, you know, clean up after all of his cookies. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye, Haley. Happy New Year. Bye, Tucker. Happy New Year.